Welcome to the Online Course Masters Show, where we learn from the best online course creators how to better create and sell our very own courses. I'm your host, Phil Ebener, and today I chat with a good friend, Jackie Seidel, who teaches English as a second language and other business skills on Udemy and off of Udemy with her clients. She has a soap making side hustle and she lives in a German village with 43 people in it. We're going to hear all about those things and much more in this episode. Visit onlinecoursemasters.com for show notes to watch the video version of this episode and see an archive of all our past guests. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please, if you haven't done so already, leave a review for this show wherever you listen to it. Now, let's get straight to the interview. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So well, for people listening or watching, where where are you right now? You're across the world from me. <laughs> All right. So I'm in a really small village in Germany called Rentschmüller. And unlike where you are, um, our little village has a population of 43. So <laughs> yeah. we. Uh, I'm actually from Australia. So moving to Germany was kind of a big deal. But um, if you imagine, I know every single neighbor in my village. I bet. I bet. That didn't take very long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would definitely want to kind of ask and jump into that sort of lifestyle, especially being an online teacher and what that means. Um, But for people who don't know anything about Jackie, I'm going to include links to her Udemy profile, website, everything on the show notes. But she teaches um, English as a second language. She does a lot of business coaching and she has done really well with Udemy for business, which I'm excited to dive into because I think a lot of instructors listening who are on Udemy, it, Udemy for business is a mystery to us. So we're trying to figure out how we can take advantage of that. So we're going to dive into all of that. But my first question is people like hearing about other people's failures because <laughs> it makes everyone feel a little bit more normal and seem a little bit more yeah. human. So what is one area in your online business life that you failed and and how did you overcome that? Oh, that's a good question. I was giving this some thought because when you first start out, um, you you kind of don't really know what you're doing. I mean, I've been a a trainer for 11 years, so I thought making online courses would be super easy, right? It's what I do for a living. But no, my first failure was assuming that when I'm filming my lectures, I have to use a professional voice and to speak to the camera in this type of way. Mm. And my first course, it's embarrassing um, how robotic I was because, of course, I wanted to be super duper professional, but absolutely forgot the fact that it was inhuman. There's no human connection. Um, so I, I filmed these lectures, right? I was totally proud of myself. Like, wow, I sound like a newsreader. <laughs> and then after a while I realized, but that, uh, you know, three or four five courses down the track, I realized that's really not me. Mm, that's mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not a newsreader. Yeah. And so I, so my big failure was not being myself. Um, students, when they when they sit across a table from me in the room, they see my body language and the enthusiasm and expressions, and that's a really great connection. Yeah. So, um, uh, so that was my failure, and I've rectified it in the rest of my courses, and it gets good feedback. I love that, and I think what I've realized is that people really do become repeat purchasers based off of 
the person. There's so many options out there for this a class and whatever topic. And the personality and the person is really why people are buying your classes again and again. And when you come out with a new class. So I think showing that personality and being a little bit more real and authentic is definitely good advice for people getting started. So that's no, great. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I, it, it came to me when I realized, okay, I've been teaching in real life for 11 years and I've had uh, repeat clients this whole time. And I can see little Ashby there. Hi, Ashby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I realized the reason why my real life clients come back is because they like me and my manner of teaching. So why not just uh, transfer that to the online teaching environment? Totally. Yeah. And Ashby, my puppy, six month old puppy is walking around the room. So <laughs> I try not to get distracted when I'm doing these things now, but she's been a good dog so far. She's she is very quiet. She doesn't interrupt a lot of times. So that's good. My son might come in later with his X-wing because he's totally into Star Wars. Oh, so nice, nice. We can compare interruptions. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, let's back yep. up a little bit, and I want to hear more about your background. I mean. Australia to Germany to a village of 43. Uh, what was your background before teaching online? What were you doing and how did you kind of get into teaching online classes? Oh, great question. All right. So before I came to Germany, I actually worked in local government. So I was a marketing coordinator at the city of Melbourne. Mm. And my responsibilities were actually the Christmas decorations program for council. So if you think of the city of Melbourne, it's a city of about 4 million people, but within the central municipality, there are about 55,000. And we had a $2 million decorations program. So I did the Christmas tree. The giant bauble, the flags, the banners, the, the decorated trams, um, uh, and it was it was really lots of fun work. It was actually more stressful than it sounds. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but so so this was my background prior to marketing. I actually worked in policy development, so indigenous um, strategy for the city, and also multicultural policy development. And I I absolutely loved that work. But I was a contractor, and so my contract expired, and I thought, all right, three-month holiday in Germany, I've got friends here, and after three months, I'll go back to Australia and pick up another contract. So that never really happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came here, and I was offered a teaching job at a little um, language school where I was learning some German. Mm -hmm. So after three days of German, I started teaching English, had no idea what I was doing, right? And this is something I talk about in one of my courses, just because you speak a language, it doesn't qualify you to teach it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I talk about that in some of my courses. So anyway, I got myself qualified. And that was 11 years ago, I, I worked for this language school, got fired, got married. Um, <laughs> in that order. Yeah. <laughs> And launched my business. And the whole premise of my business was that um, unlike a multinational language school, I'm actually going to find out what your company's individual needs are and I'm going to meet those needs. Mm. And I'm going to teach you and your company for your products and your services. And um, and that's it. So I've been doing that since, since then. And so the natural segue was to online teaching. I had too many clients not enough time, young child, house, and my son needed more me time. Mm -hmm. And so 
my original strategy was, all right, I'm going to create some courses on topics which I currently teach. Mm -hmm. And so the clients that I can't see face-to-face because I'm booked for the next six or eight months, they can start off on an online course and then when my calendar frees up, they've, you know, met me already and we can get going. Yeah. But didn't really work out that way. I've got 22 courses, not all on <laughs> language teaching. Yeah. So that's how the Germany story began. Wow. So a couple things. One is that I think you might have a second career in Christmas decorating uh, if you ever want to go that direction. I don't know if you've heard or if it if it happens in Germany or in Australia, but here in LA, there was a story last year about these professional Christmas tree decorators who all the Hollywood stars pay thousands of dollars to come decorate their professional tree in their in their house. So seriously, <laughs> oh my god! I have to tell you, Phil, that where I live in Germany, okay, so <laughs> excuse me, tiny village. My region, called the Vogtland, and the neighboring region, the Erzgebirge, this is where Christmas decorations came from. So if you look, right, in your Christmas decorations collection, which I know you have, everyone has one, um, you'll probably find a wooden carved nutcracker, right? Mm -hmm. And you can, and it opens its mouth. Okay, that comes from here. Wow. And those, those traditional carved wooden decorations that you probably hang on your tree, they come from here. And so in this village and in this region, Christmas makes sense. And my husband is a huge Christmas guy. He practices carols on the piano the whole year. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and we've got the, these light arches you put in the windows. Um, they come from here. And we've got eight Wow. Wow. Well, I know, I know if any, for anyone that does celebrate Christmas, going to Germany during Christmas time, the whole December month, and even, I don't know when the Christmas markets start, but that, those are just, it's just magical there, especially coming from Southern California. I studied abroad in Bonn and it was in the fall and it's snowing and the Christmas markets. It was just like this super magical thing. It's so good. And I know Bonn's beautiful, but um, I'm in Eastern Germany, right? So the old GDR. And if you were to even go from Bonn, head eastwards to here, so we're talking um, Dresden or Leipzig or Chemnitz or these East German cities, um, or even small towns in the mountains, mm -hmm. you you even find a, a more magical environment again. There's a huge a history of mining here. So mining for iron ore, for example. And in uh, many of the old mines, at the entry to the mine, you would have a carved angel on one side and a carved miner in the, the uniform looks rather militaristic on the other holding lights mm -hmm. because lights for the miners are essential when you're down in the dark mm -hmm. and so many christmas decorations if you see traditionally they'll have a an angel and a minor and oh. that comes from this region and so when you when you see these decorations in context yeah it all makes sense yeah totally <laughs> totally sense. that's very cool okay so enough christmas yep. tangent yes sorry. <laughs> although i love christmas so much uh so back to you moved to germany 11 years ago and did you just learn german at that time too Basically, yeah. I'd learned a little bit in school, but, mm -hmm. you know, when you're not in the country, you don't learn so much. Mm -hmm. So I spent my first two, three years not speaking any German. Mm -hmm. um, all of my friends in Chemnitz, they spoke English. Mm 
mm-hmm. and I was working, teaching 40 hours a week. And um, so when I met my husband, that's when I started to really learn German. And I learned it from television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this to, to anyone who travels abroad, um, that when you're in the country, it's easiest. But the, the thing that you have to do is just start speaking. Don't worry if you make mistakes, just speak. I mean, I've made some corkers of mistakes and people have cracked up. There are two words in German. One of them means to try something like to sample a food or a drink. Mm-hmm. And a very similar word means to vomit. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so I once asked my neighbor, uh, I wanted to ask her, can I please try this glass of sparkling wine? So can I please try? Actually, I said, oh, can I please vomit? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, I think that's true, though. You just got to practice and they'll get a kick out of it, but they'll they'll forgive you. That's funny, though. (laughs) So you teach a lot of uh, English as a second language. Who's your main target audience right now? What are they? Do they start as German speakers or are you teaching everybody from all over the world now? Okay. Um, in real life, I teach managers of companies, um, so multinational companies and federal government agencies. Those are my primary clients. I specialize in those types of clientele. Um, in terms of my online courses, so my Udemy courses, it's everybody. Mm. Um it's been interesting. In the last year, I've picked up a lot of new students in the Middle East region, um, also a lot of students in India and in Southeast Asia, mm. um, which is fascinating because their native languages coming into learning English are, are, are so different from German. I understand German so I can anticipate where errors will lie, mm-hmm. but with this wide variety of, of um, native languages, it's um, it's a bit trickier for me to anticipate or to to identify when one of my students has a problem with a piece of grammar or vocabulary to be able to say, ah, oh, they've got that problem because blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I have to work a little bit harder, but hey, that's that's my job. Yeah, yeah. No. Cool. So you and when you started with your online courses, was Udemy the first place you put them or had you tried any other platforms when you started? Now, Udemy was the first one I, I came across, um, I and it was completely by accident. I read a lot of online newspapers, and I came across an article mentioning online training, and I went, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And Udemy was the, the first place I mentioned, and I created my account that day and started my first course the next day. And I never, uh, in that first year, I never looked anywhere else. Um, because I was really satisfied with the the platform and with the customer care, uh, the contact. Um, I've I've looked elsewhere, but I just haven't had that same sense of connection as mm-hmm. I've had with Udemy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I haven't. I've got courses in various platforms, and one solely German based, but I just don't feel that sense of yeah, connection. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So this mm. was, and you put your first courses on there I think in 2014 right yeah 2014 and I think for some people listening now they think oh man if only I would have started in 2014 but I think even back then people were already saying oh it's too late to start on Udemy and people continue Mm -hmm. to say that every year as I've been on the platform but Mm -hmm. uh, when you were starting out what how did that go with your first few classes how did you get your first students and would you do anything differently now or what's your advice for people just starting out getting those first students? 
Oh, good question. Firstly, it's never too late to start. If if you're uh, if you're knowledgeable about a topic, and I don't mean passionate necessarily or solely passionate about a topic, you have to be knowledgeable about it. Udemy's really increased their quality standards since 2014, for example, um, when you could get almost anything there. Now it's it's harder. But no, firstly, it's never too late to start. Um, secondly, you you don't need a big email list to get started. Okay, it gives you great advantages. But um, I started not knowing anybody or anything. I just was little old me in my little old village and oh, talking like a robot to the camera and um, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, and now I've got students in 157 countries and 22, 21, 22. I don't even know how many courses I've got. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so the advice is be knowledgeable, plan your topic, um, be enthusiastic. Don't be scared of the camera, um, maybe a little bit, but play with it. You know, camera's your friend. <laughs> and I think that's so true. I think you have to, like, the camera, it, it takes down, like, 25% of your energy. It, you have to be a little bit over energetic for it to actually come across on the camera. And that's something that I still continue to struggle with, I think. When I watch my videos, I think that while I was recording, I was kind of engaging and stuff. But then I watch and I'm like, man, this guy's kind of boring. So You should have come to my Udemy live office hours. I did confidence on camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should have gone to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was that was really that was really lovely. It's I mean, it's not easy to to speak into the cold lens, mm -hmm. but um, one strategy that I was giving at Udemy Live this year was just to imagine you're talking to a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and when you find yourself speaking like a robot, as if you're a newsreader, when you find yourself doing that, just stop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to lean forward, lean back, move your hands. When I was new and I posted a, a one of these, uh, what do we call it, um, my... What do we call those trial videos? When test like video? a test video? Oh mm. my god! Yeah, um, I posted a test video, right? And I was using my hands because that's how I teach. And this guy said, "Don't use your hands." And mm. <laughs> so the next videos were really difficult because <laughs> a language teacher needs hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, again, advice: just sit naturally, be natural. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I love that idea of just talking to a friend, especially because it, I think it's better to be talking directly to a single person rather than talking to the group. And that's what I used to do. And sometimes I catch myself saying, hey, everyone, welcome to the course. But, you know, it's one person watching that video. So I think yeah. that's important, too. Yeah. The, the other thing which has really still stuck with me since the beginning is that, I mean, Online training, it's a great way to earn a bit of income, but, and what you do with that income, it's, you know, it's your business. But I really like to think of some of the courses I do as really affecting change in people's lives. So enabling uh, people to, to do things they couldn't otherwise do. And it might sound a bit altruistic and so on, but I really think there is that kind of scope in what we do as online instructors. Mm -hmm. And um, I think also when you've got that in mind, it also changes the way you present. You're not... You're not teaching to some, 
guy in a big city. Oh, hang on, sounds like you. <laughs> but not some some guy in a big city or a girl in a big city who's who's just learning um, for the hell of it or to make some money. You could be speaking to someone in a in a in a camp for internally displaced people and giving them a skill that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And that yeah. also affects your presentation and your content. So true. I love that. What is your process for coming up with new topics for courses? Gosh, great question. Um, uh, an intelligent instructor would say, I do research to look for gaps and niches. <laughs> yeah, there's no right answer. <laughs> I'm not that kind of instructor. I teach things which I, I, I really love teaching. Mm -hmm. Um so in terms of my business English courses, for example, um, in my real life, I do a lot of specific courses. So English for presentation skills or mm. technical English, English for logistics. Mm. And um, if I've had a really good week teaching that and I'm really pumped about the topic, I'll go, hey, I'll turn this into an online course. Because not only does it reach that international market, but it's another it's another product I can sell to my real life clients. Mm -hmm. And this is something which I've done with a number of my courses. So if you look at my profile, you won't see 22 or 21 courses because mm -hmm. I've got private courses, mm -hmm. which I've adapted and modified and rebranded and have provided to my real life clients. Mm, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's how I come up with the ideas. What do my real life guys and girls want? What do I really love teaching? What, yeah. what do I know how to teach? Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. See how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cool. So I want to jump to the Udemy for business stuff yeah. um, mm. because I think that is going to be interesting for everyone listening. I know that you've shared with us in the group that your Udemy for business income is, um, well, really good and sometimes even more than your non-Udemy for business income on Udemy. So what do you think makes um, your classes so successful for Udemy business and how would people, like, should they start trying to create courses specifically for Udemy for business or like how, what, what advice do you have? there. Uh, that's, that, that's really good. Um, I think it kind of harks back to what I was just saying about when I think of my real life clients, then I produce a course. So I've already got business people in mind when I'm creating my material, um, bite-sized uh, lectures um, with resources, with activities and, and so on. So the so that type of a model works really well in Udemy for business. And also I think for having a targeted course. So if I'm doing uh, English for logistics, for example, that's one of my Udemy for business courses that does really well mm -hmm. in hu a huge variety of markets um, because it's, it's practical, it's short, sharp, it's snappy, and it, it gives the learners something that they can take away and apply directly in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get into to Udemy for business, I've, I think I've got eight or nine courses in there now. Um, you've really got to be thinking about having a broad reach, about having um, short, sharp, snappy uh, lectures, and every single lecture provides value. And every single lecture can be taken standalone and gives your students a skill that they can immediately use in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I think I've got a telephone in course as well. So for example, one of the lectures enables uh, non-native English speakers to answer the phone confidently and using standard phrases and being able to understand standard phrases in return. So after one lecture, 
hey, they can answer the call. After the next lecture, they can take a message. The third lecture, they can transfer a call. Yeah. So that, I mean, that would be my Udemy for business recipe for success. Yeah. And I've heard, I, I think at Udemy Live, they said that they like shorter courses in general too um, for Udemy for <laughs> business. Is, do you think that's true? Not in my experience, no. I mean, they were talking about shorter lectures, lectures. absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, but also also they mentioned shorter courses um, around the 30 to 60 minute mark. Um, I can imagine that um, when you're a Udemy for Business client and you're scrolling down and you see a 14 hour, 15, 20 hour course, I don't even know what we have as the longest course on Udemy, um, that might seem a little overwhelming. Whereas a 60-minute course is like, hey, I can achieve that. I, that's something that I can tell my boss by the end of the week or end of the month, I finished. Yeah. So if you're thinking that companies are making investments in their employees and the human resources department or the team leader or department head needs to feed back on that um, investment and say, we've got – 30 employees and all of them have finished um, X number of courses this quarter. That's where you're looking for shorter courses. But I don't necessarily think it is applicable or appropriate across a whole range of courses. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm. Well, I think that I guess the advice is if you have those skills, really trying to think of where your skills match the business world and teaching a course specifically for that business world um, might be the best chance of getting a course in the Mm. Udemy for Business library. It's kind of hard to like, I guess, I don't know if people should just teach like a a course. I'm trying to think like for me, like, should I teach a video editing for business course? Or is it better just to teach a video editing course and maybe it appears in the Udemy for Business library? But I also think that the it kind of works both ways. Even if it doesn't get in Udemy for Business, if you are targeting sort of the corporate world or business people or people advancing their careers, they might be more likely to have money to pay for courses anyways. So you might kind of benefit from that target market anyways, even if it's not in Udemy for Business, I think. I don't think, yeah, I see what you mean. I, I don't know if it's particularly useful to create a course specifically for Udemy for Business because... You put all of that time and effort and um, passion into your course without the guarantee it's going to get in there. And if it doesn't get in there, you're probably going to feel a little bit let down. Mm -hmm. But if you create a course which is really good and which can be applied to a business context and which meets a business need, uh, which can fill a gap for a business unit, then you're going to be getting your non-Udemy for Business students. They're going to be happy that they're learning this practical hands-on skill. Mm-hmm. And then you can have the added benefit of being included in the Udemy for Business catalog. But I think that it's it's a trap to get into to have Udemy for Business as your sole goal in course mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. I think your sole goal should be I'm going to address a pain point. I'm going to uh, I'm going to create something practical, hands-on, relevant which can meet a business need, but doesn't have to meet a Udemy for business business need. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think your advice for creating a great Udemy for business course of having those 
short snappy lectures where they're learning something practical in each video i think that can be applied to (laughs) to pretty much any course as well people are going to enjoy those courses give better reviews and that's the name of the game so that's good advice for really any course i think absolutely and i have an instructional design background and one of the main uh, the first lessons you learn in um creating learning opportunities for adults is to um, provide something which is relevant, explain why it's relevant, show that it's relevant, um, and teach them what you say you're going to teach them and yeah. tell them what they've learned. And if you if you do that in all of your, your courses, if you don't waffle, okay, I waffle a little bit. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> I didn't Sorry. know that term until I taught online classes and people were like, this guy waffles. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> it was just yeah, a term I didn't understand. So I looked it up and I was like, okay, yeah, I do. I, I ramble. That's what I say. <laughs> Are you guys say ramble? See, for us, ramble, if you ramble, it's like you go for a really long walk through the countryside. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, I, we say ramble. At least in Southern California, we say we ramble. <laughs> okay. that, in, but that makes camp, sense. Yeah, going like, for a long walk in the countryside, just kind of going slowly. I like that actually. <laughs> cool. So that's some great advice for you to me for business, for creating great courses. What are you doing to drive course sales, whether it's through your promotions on Udemy or are you driving traffic outside of Udemy at all? That's a good question. And again, an intelligent instructor and a member of the Monday Mastermind group would reel off a whole list of amazing things but actually, can I tell you, I'm, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that just I've got so much stuff going on in my brain that I have no clear strategy and I never have had. And yet I've done really well on Udemy. <laughs> um, I think that's great. I, that's great for people to hear because, <laughs> you know, they hear on this podcast and elsewhere, you know, you read, you got to have your website, you got to have your sales funnel, you got to have X, Y, and Z. But, I don't know how tiring that is to hear. Yeah. It is so tiring. And I know I know it's important. And you guys, you know, my Monday guys, you guys are fantastic at this. And I'm I'm so incredibly not fantastic. And yet, um I like to think after so many years of being on Udemy and doing really well that it's the quality that shines through. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, but I, I've got to say, it's it's the same with my real with my um, face to face my real world business. I never advertise my business, and yet I've been fully booked for you know since I went solo, which was about okay, um, uh, eight years ago after I left language school. Um, I've never had a gap in my schedule because it's all word of mouth. People hate hear, oh that Jackie, she's really good. Oh that Seidel, she's fantastic. Oh yeah, let's go there, and. In a way, I like to think that is the same with the online training. So it's not just reviews. Um, it's I, I can't tell you why they do so well, but they just do. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, uh, yeah. I think it just comes across. I think, you know, students like your personality in your courses and they, they want to buy your next courses. So, yeah, no, that's totally that's great. Right. I mean, I. I've got uh, Facebook groups and I've got a blog, a, a couple of blogs because I've got, you know, my different businesses, uh, my soaping and so on. Um, and so I do stuff there and I've got my Pinterest and I've newly got uh, a, like a business Instagram. That's mm. new for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a mobile phone, right? So I just do everything on my iPad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up my phone years ago. It's fantastic. 
How does that work? I love it, but how does it work to not have a mobile phone? Well, well here's the thing. I, I drive a lot for my work. Um, so I might do 550 kilometers in a week. And I don't know what that is in miles, but Siri knows. Um, <laughs> so I do a lot of driving, right? And so when you're driving a car, you can't use your phone. In Germany, you absolutely can't. So when I'm driving, I can't make any phone calls. When I'm teaching, I give my clients 100% of my attention and I can't take any phone calls, right? And when I'm at home, I'm spending time with my family. And in my village, there's no mobile phone reception anyway. <laughs> okay, so it's kind of by default, but I, I love that. I love that idea of you know, being more present in all aspects of life. I mean, I didn't have a smartphone until a couple years ago, um, which many of my friends thought was crazy, but it's such a distraction now. And it's, it's so bad. I mean, it's so bad, like just to be at the grocery store getting food and waiting in line and feeling like I need to pull out my phone and check Facebook or whatever it is. It's really bad, actually. I used to do that with my phone and I found myself doing it like my son's right next to me. And I hated that I was looking at my phone and not at my son. Mm. And so I gave my phone up at the, uh, we went to Australia in 2014. I gave it up in 2013. Okay. But what I do have, cause I'm not a complete troglodyte. I've got my iPad. Mwah, I love it. <laughs> and this is addictive enough. Seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's my best friend. Um, actually, my iPad died a couple of weeks ago, and I was devastated. And then I realized it just needed a restart. My life was saved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So we've heard a little bit about like what life is like in a small village. But I, you know, there's just like this small part of me that thinks that's that would be nice. But coming from Los Angeles, do you think I would love it? Or do you think after a while, I would just want to get out? That's a good question. I don't know how many people are in LA, but I'm, I lived in Melbourne for 11 years and uh, that's got 4 million people. And I was right in the center. Like I worked at the town hall. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was around people all the time. The village is really, it's a great lifestyle. And the, the thing is that during the working week, you know, you're around people, you've got all of the city action and this, that, and the other. But when you're tired and you come home, you know, you've just got such peace and quiet. Our neighbors here, you just, you, you can't beat them. They are the best people in the world. We've got a river in the garden. At nighttime, we hear owls and there are foxes and there are wild boar in the forest and deer. There was like a deer in the garden outside a couple of weeks back. Just like, <laughs> so it's, incredibly relaxing but um something which which you know is i have an anxiety condition and i'm dealing with that at the moment and so i find personally that being able to come home just have the peace and quiet being able to switch off is really really relaxing yeah and really helpful um being in san francisco this year was a little crazy yeah i bet (laughs) people yeah yeah (laughs) Well, that is, that's awesome. So what what um what is like a typical day like with for you? Because you have your online business, you have your clients, you're doing some soap making, which we haven't talked about much, but you've got this yeah. other hobby uh, or business that 
it well it's is the soap making is that a business now are you turning it into a business yeah it's it's like my side hustle in nice. fact um i've i've received christmas orders already i finished a pack last night nice. um for a client he's a lawyer and he's giving gift baskets to his clients and so I created some lovely products for him and did all the decorations and so on. And that's all beautiful. It'll be picked up tomorrow. So that's, that's awesome. yeah, that was really lovely. Um, so how do you okay, balance so typical, it all? What's like a typical day like for you? Oh, Godfather. All right. Mondays and Fridays are my administrative days. So Mondays I take my son to school. I come home. I plan my lessons for the week for my real life clients. And then I take maybe an hour or two sneaky soap making break in the middle of the day. I have a separate workshop downstairs. And then I make some soaps or some some products. I don't know what I'm doing recently like moisturizing salves and lip balms and mm-hmm. bath bombs, gin and tonic uh, bath bomb fill. That's my latest. Nice. Smells amazing. <laughs> so I do that and uh, then I pick up my son and we play. Tuesdays through Thursdays, I'm normally up at 5 or 5.30. Then I drive off and I teach and I come back. Um, yeah, and then Fridays. So I sneak the soap making and the crafting in because I do crochet soap making and I do sewing and I have a knitting machine. So wow. <laughs> do all of that. But um, the trick is to that what I do is I, I slip that into my a little break, so an hour here, two hours there. Mm-hmm. I do my Udemy on Mondays and Fridays generally. Um, and weekends are sacred. Mm. Um, I spent my son's first five years working seven days a week, uh, which was mad, absolutely mad. And um, it was not good for him. So weekends, I'm off. I don't check my emails. I check them. I don't reply. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's really good. So so with Udemy and your online classes, you're um, responding to questions and stuff just on Mondays and Fridays? No. Uh, okay. Mondays and Fridays would be more for course, not course, yeah, course creation and editing and filming when the house is quiet, um, updating resources and so on. Um, I respond to questions five days a week, mm-hmm. but Saturdays and Sundays, as I said, no. When you're self-employed, um, as you know, it's really difficult for some people to respect your time and your boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so... Now I have a strict rule of not Saturdays and Sundays. It's only for my husband and my son. And that's it. I love that. And it is hard. I mean, recently, um, since I've started selling courses on my own site, I get people (laughs) having like tech tech issues or billing issues. And they'll send me emails on the weekend. And I'm always like, like, I don't want to respond right now. But like, Maybe this is the only time you are going online to learn. Maybe you work during the week or whatever. So yeah. I don't know. I, I need to come up with some sort of system or or hire mm-hmm. an assistant or something to, to be able to respond on the weekends. Um, mm. Because I, I, like you, like to keep my weekends completely free. Yeah. And um, mm. I spend so much time doing this during the week anyways. I don't want to spend any more time doing no. work. I mean, your wife needs you. Ashby needs a walk. It's true. It's true. We need time to just enjoy life a little bit too. Absolutely. And if you think about it, I mean, I can understand the the tech issues and this feeling of responsibility. And it would be awful if 
that Saturday or Sunday is the only time the student can get online. But um, and perhaps a solution is to have an assistant who's in a different time zone from you. Um, so then you've got the two time zones covered or, or three, for example. Um, but I mean, you've got to set some boundaries. Other businesses, for example, close on the weekends. If you want to contact your accountant, they're not there on the weekend. Yeah. If you've got an urgent tax issue. Yeah. Um, and I think it's I really believe it's a matter of training. Um, I had client, for example, a different topic, um, with my real life clients, um, until some years ago, I didn't have a cancellation policy for lessons. And so I found, um, there was this period where a student would call me up maybe an hour before a lesson when I would be getting into the car saying, Oh, Jackie, you know, I've got too much work to do today. And, you know, can we cancel a lesson? And cause I'm a friendly Australian, right? I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's no problem. Then I hang up going, what? Um, and and I and it, it just happened, like too much work to do. You know, you can plan around that. Mm-hmm. So then I introduced a policy. You have to cancel by X time before the lesson. Otherwise, the full cost has to be paid. Mm-hmm. Miracle. Nobody cancels late anymore. No one. Yeah. And that's been some years now. And it's just this matter of training. Yeah. And I think like as a business owner or starting out yourself, I feel like adding something like that, I, I feel bad doing it. But like for them, like the client or the customer, it, it's probably just natural or, or it's like totally it's normal for them to see a cancellation policy or, or to get an yeah. email on the weekend and say like, or an autoresponder saying, Oh, I don't respond on the weekends or something like that. Um, yeah. we'll get back to you I, on Monday, something like that. Yeah, I think it, it's totally reasonable. I mean, when you set up the expectation that you are available 24 seven and Sundays are okay, then you're going to get all sorts of issues. And then you might be, you know, at a restaurant with your wife and trying to enjoy it. Your phone beeps, you look, cause you have a smartphone. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like tech issue. Yeah. And then, how can you enjoy your lovely dinner? Yeah. And that's what I, I need to just turn it off because like, even if I don't respond, it's just like knowing that email is there, knowing that person is waiting for me. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been a fun yeah. conversation. I want just yeah. a couple more questions. Um, yeah. What do you have any goals that I can kind of try to keep you accountable for, uh, for the next few years with your online business? Uh, on Udemy or off of Udemy? Yeah. Can you please uh, continually kick my butt when I don't do blogs? And if I don't have like a a type of strategy for promoting my courses, by the time we meet in Austria next year, (laughs) then can you do the same butt kicking? That's what I need. I I have to make the time to be a little bit more serious. And it it might mean... um, cutting out some of my side hustles and extracurricular activities, but I think it's important. Um, uh, Udemy has enabled me to do so much and uh, well, online training is, you know, I only do Udemy um, and I really should respect it a little more and put a little bit more heart into it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to keep you accountable. Yeah. Austria, this is this uh, secret plan that we're, you got to keep me accountable for, and we'll talk about it offline, but yep. I'm, I was telling Isabel about 
meeting up in Austria to have like an online course boot camp. And yeah. I don't know, I would love that. So Was she excited? Yeah, my husband's yeah. really excited to meet you guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we got to make that happen. What's your final piece of advice for people who are just getting started listening to this episode and they are like, yeah, I want to teach an online course too. How, how do they get started? Um, the first piece of advice I'd give, oh, actually, it's, I got parallel That's first funny. advice. <laughs> Can I speak like two heads at once? Like exactly. it's Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> okay. I guess, I mean, the first thing is um, if, um, if a person is a non-native English speaker, and I, I've seen this a lot in various forms, um, don't be worried about your accent. Don't be worried about things like this because if English isn't your native language, People will know it as soon as you open your mouth. But people are very forgiving if you've got the expertise and the enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of work in German. I negotiate contracts in German. My German isn't perfect. Like I mix up the word taste and puke, for goodness sake. But <laughs> people are very forgiving as long as you've got that expertise and enthusiasm. So that's advice number one. The, the second piece of advice would be, uh, not to get too caught up in the technical side of things like, oh, is my lighting right? What about this microphone and the camera and this and this? Use what you've got. I started with a five-year-old MacBook with no uh, extra microphone. I had to borrow one from my husband. He's got a music studio and um, no special lights. I brought in every lamp and I spoke like a robot. But don't get caught up in the technical side of things. Use what you have. Get something out. Get anything out. Yeah. Love and it. once you've done that, you'll feel more comfortable and then your your process will flow. And as I said, it's never too late to mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, totally true. Everyone listening right now, it's not too late whenever you're listening to this. I think online learning is just going to continue to to grow and change and who knows what it's going to be like? I mean, five years ago, Udemy was just kind of starting out and like, look how it is now. And who knows what it's going to be like in five years. And you'll want to get started as soon as possible. So yeah. do it. And Take guess, action. Yeah. The other thing that which I, I want to also note, if I can, is that online, being an online instructor, and I touched on it a little bit before. I mean, making money is a really great thing. Of course, it enables us to do so many things we are normally not able to do. But um, realizing that you've got the ability to make actual change in people's lives is important. And one thing which I am committed to focusing on since Udemy Live this year is to doing more to make online training accessible to asylum seekers, to refugees, internally uh, displaced people, and so on, to, because we've got such a capacity to, to really make change. And it's not just about the money. Money's really good. Don't get me wrong. But knowing that you've given a person a skill and when they settle in their new country, they can apply that skill in a new job to earn money for their family. I mean, that's pretty beautiful stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's, yeah, so that, that's the other thing that's um, a sole focus on money making is kind of shallow, just to look broader at what your reach can really be. Mm -hmm. That's, that would be my other advice for new and existing instructors. Look, look broader than just the, the dollar and complaining about, oh, my course sold for $2. Hey, you got the $2, you know? But whose life have you touched with that two dollars? 
I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for that. So I'm going to include links to your Udemy profile and all of your other stuff, but where's the best place for people to find out more information about you or connect with you? Um, I guess that would be Facebook. Okay. I've got um, my site is called Jacqueline Seidel trainer. Okay. Um, that's the one you can find because my private page is a little private. It's only for family and friends. Um, so that's, that's a good spot. And, um, also, no, I think that'd be the best one, but if you're interested in my soap making, then maybe I give you that link too, because I've got a Facebook page there as well, as well as an Etsy shop. Etsy's new for me. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's fun. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I'll definitely include links to that. Um, I love, you know, online teaching for some people is a side hustle in itself, but then there's all these other side hustles that we can do too. So I love doing all these things. I learned the soap making from Shona O'Connor, who's a Udemy instructor. So that's, that's something I've learned, which has really um, positively impacted my life from online learning. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being on the show. I will talk to you on Monday. But for everyone else listening, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and keep on working on your courses. And hopefully you're learning a lot from these episodes. So thanks, Jackie. All right. Thanks, Phil. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to fast track your success, head over to onlinecoursemasters.com and sign up for your free trial of my flagship program, the Online Course Masters Masterclass. Yep, that's right. It's a masterclass designed to take you from zero to hero, creating and selling your very own online courses. If you haven't done so yet, please leave a review for this show wherever you listen. This is how we can help expand our audience and help teach the world. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week in the next edition of the Online Course Masters Show.